Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. for your giving. Everly, uh, it was actually the terrible place of punishment. That was the place she calls it. Um, But we are kicking off a brand new series today uh, on the book of Ephesians. I'm excited about the content. Uh, We don't always take the time to do a book study, um, but we felt like this would be a great time. One of my favorite books in the Bible, um, just like Pastor Karen, is the book of Ephesians. To me, I see it in the same context as the Old Testament book of Joshua. Um, and Joshua, as you know, it's a book of conquest. It's a, it's a book of victory. And Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writing to the church, is trying to establish who we are in Christ and what Christ has made available to us. And so I want to you know, dive in. We're going to be here for seven or eight weeks. And you're like, it's only six chapters. Well... That's how rich it is. Uh, So we're going to be here for a couple of months, um, just line by line, going through the book of Ephesians. And what I hope will happen is by the end of this, you're going to know exactly who you are in Christ, everything he's made available to you, and you're going to walk in the power, the dominion, and the authority that God has called you to walk in as a believer. Anybody ready for all that? So I need you to do a couple of things. In this series, I need you to to begin reading the book of Ephesians. Just start reading it uh, a little bit every day. Just take it in. Read it maybe a chapter a day. Maybe read all six chapters every day. Uh, It wouldn't take you but about a half hour to do that, but it's so rich, uh, full of of, of amazing content. I want to call this first message, the first installment, I want to call it In Christ. That's what we're going to be talking about, In Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to his purpose of him who works, all things according to the counsel of his, of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. As we dive into this, I want to start with a a real big question to kind of kickstart today's message. The question is very simply, who are the two most important people who have ever lived in the history of the world? Anybody got any answers for me? I did hear Jesus, and, and that, that's kind of like the layup, right? That is the layup. That is, that is the softball. You know, Jesus uh, is definitely one of them. If your second choice was my wife, I just want to stop and say to the husbands that said that, you are a genius. Like, truly, you are a genius. Um, if you said my wife is the second most important person to, to have ever lived. Um, the reason that question is so important, yes, Jesus is the most important, but the second most important person who has ever lived is a man by the name of Adam. And the reason it is so important, because what we believe about this, it shapes something uh, we refer to as our worldview, how we view the world, how we see the world. The two most important people are Jesus and Adam. Uh, incredibly important that we understand this because 1 Corinthians 15 talks about Adam but it also talks about Jesus. And one of the great myths, in, particularly in the West, is that each of us is exclusively an isolated individual. We see ourselves almost exclusively in individualistic terms. At the very most, perhaps part of a family or our role in the family within the context of a family. And because we live by that myth, we, we, uh, we find identity based on things like, Am I young? Am I old? Am I black? Am I white? Uh, let's go a little deeper. Am I Republican? Am I Democrat? Am I rich? Am I poor? Am I single? Am I married? Am I married? Am I divorced? Am I married? Am I widowed? And, and we, we find identity in these things. But, but what I want you to see is that those things may explain us but they do not define us. And it's very important that we understand the difference, that that is not our identity. All these things help explain us, but they do not define us because there are only two categories of people on the planet. Two categories only. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. There are only two options. You are either today in Adam or you are in Christ. So my question for you is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? How many know the answer to that question determines everything we need to know about you? It is where we find identity. It is where we find purpose. Am I in Adam or am I in Christ? Um, Sometimes when we talk about this, we have this conversation about being in Adam or being in Christ. Some people get disinterested in that, in that conversation. They, they become disinterested in that. Um, but it's important that we lean in a little bit because we are, we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. 
We, we come into the world, the Bible's very clear, we come into the world in Adam. We are born as a sinner, right? Uh, but to be in Christ means that you and I must be born again. And this is how God sees all of human history. God sees two leaders. God sees two captains. God sees two heads. Um, and, and, and that means that because Adam and Christ are the two heads, the two categories, the two leaders, it means that their decisions implicate us. They, 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 they define where we are. That Adam's decision, when we remain in Adam, how many know we are set up for eternal damnation? I don't know how else to say it. When we remain in Adam. But when we are born again, when we repent of our sins, when we are living life in Christ, we are now prepared for the life God has for us. And we're not, we're not uh, waiting on God's wrath at that point. But we are, how many know we have an inheritance that, that Jesus has made available? And so we are part of one of two groups, one of two families, one of two teams. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So through Adam, death came. Through Christ, resurrection came. In Adam, if you're a part of that team, if that is the category you find yourself in, that's the group you identify with, he says, all die. If you're in Adam, death. That, that's the result. But in Christ, that team, all are made alive. And so I want you to begin to see yourself as either being in Adam or in Christ. And it's incredibly important because we are all born in Adam. We inherit from Adam the sinful nature. We, in, we all inherit separation from God, which means we all need to be born again. We come into the world physically alive, but we are spiritually dead until we are in relationship with God. This is the foundation, this is the framework of our identity. And the Bible speaks of identity as being in Christ or in Adam, so much so that it uses the phrase uh, in Christ, in him, in the beloved, some type of reference to that, no less than 216 times. The Apostle Paul, in his 13 letters to the New Testament church, 216 times uses the phrase in Christ, in him, or in the beloved. Now, if someone tells you something 216, and 16 times, it's because number one, they want you to know this, right? It's important. You need to know it. Number two, if they said it 216 times, they must be very concerned that you might forget it. 216 times in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved. Only three times are we referred to as believers as being Christian. It uses the language Christian. And I, I, I find this very, uh, you know, uh, applicable to our setting in, in this nation because there are a lot of people who label themselves or identify themselves as Christian, but they're not in Christ. 216 times we were, it's referred to as being in Christ. We are either in Adam or we are 
in Christ. And so important that we, we grab a hold of this. And here's the difference between being in Adam and being in Christ. Because at the cross, very pivotal moment in, in history, without the cross, none of this would, would apply. But at the cross, Jesus literally, okay, traded places with you and I. That's what happened. The, the cross is the great exchange. That's what the cross is. He traded places with me, which means that all the death, all the shame, all the condemnation that I deserve went to Jesus. And all the forgiveness, all the love, and all the grace that Jesus deserved went to me. And so this changes our identity. And I want you to see this, that if you are in Christ, you are in Christ's position, and he is in your position. He suffers and dies so that you might be blessed and live. How many of you believe that the Father loved Jesus? Anybody believe the Father loved Jesus? That, that the Father's ear was attuned to Jesus, that he listened to Jesus, that he was kind to Jesus? And, and the reason that's important is because you traded places with Jesus, he took on your punishment so that you could be in the same place Jesus was in with the Father and the same kindness and grace and love that the Father showed his son, he wants to show you as a son or daughter of God. Anybody thankful that instead of punishment, we were given forgiveness and grace and kindness? So, so important. And, but it's all about in Christ. Now, next week I'm going to preach a whole message on the first line of Ephesians 1.1. Because he writes the book to the saints. So I'm going to preach the whole message to the saints. Um, the reason it's important is because if you're not living in Christ and you're living in Adam, punishment awaits you. Death awaits you. Damnation awaits you. God's wrath awaits you. Everybody excited about that? Right? It awaits you. But it's for those who are in Adam. For those in Christ, somebody just needs to grab this. If you're in Christ, there's not punishment coming to you. There's not a curse coming to you. There's not torture coming to you. There is blessing. There is inheritance. There is grace. There is forgiveness. If you're in Christ, all the good things are coming your way. Somebody give God praise for that if you believe it. It's, it's why we got to draw a line in the sand and ask people, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? This is the question that we have to be asking. So we're born in Adam, and that's our original inherited fallen identity. We come to Christ, we are born again. That is our new, redeemed, resurrected, um, which makes us in Christ. And I'll say it this way. In Adam, there is defeat, but in Christ, there is victory. In Adam, there's condemnation, but in Christ, there is salvation. In Adam, we receive a sin nature. In Christ, we receive a new nature. In Adam, we are cursed. In Christ, we are blessed. In Adam, there is wrath and death, but in Christ, there is love and life. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Jesus um, gave us a, an indicator in John's gospel, chapter 15, when he said this. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, this, this is important that you grab hold of this. Anybody in the room, you're kind of in the gardening or landscaping? Anybody? I do it. I'm just not into it. Y'all know what I mean? Like, I, I know it needs done. The bushes need trimmed. The mulch needs laid. I do all that. I'm just not into it. 
okay? Uh, but Jesus speaks and he says, I'm the vine, and he says, you are the branches. And what Jesus is trying to show you and I is that if you were to look at a plant, if you were to look at a, a tree, uh, the next when you leave today and you see a tree, I want, I want you to get this picture in your head. He's the trunk. You're the branches. Okay, he's the trunk. You're not the trunk. Okay, you're not the one that nourishes others. You're not the one that, that can even sustain your own spiritual life. You are a branch. Okay, he's the trunk, he's the important one, he's the one that nourishes everything else. He's the trunk, we are the branches. And it's so important that we, we, we lean into that and that we, we put our lives in Christ because he goes on to say, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and then he says, whoever abides in me. And this is the language of relationship. This is the, the language of friendship, that as you nurture this relationship, you nurture this friendship. I, he said, if you will abide in me and I in you, he goes on to say, you'll begin producing fruit. That, that, that fruit being produced in your life is not because of your hard work, your striving, your performance, all the things, boxes you checked. He said, no, as long as you abide in me, as long as the branch stays connected to the trunk, as long as that relationship is nurtured, the fruit will be automatic because it's not about what you're doing, it's about what I'm doing through you. And we got to get this thing turned the right way because a lot of us, we were raised in environments that were uh, condemning. We were raised in environments that were manipulative, that used shame to get us to do the right thing. And we thought if I do A, B, and C, I'll get God's attention and he'll like me and he'll invite me into this relationship. But the Bible teaches the exact opposite. I don't do A, B, and C to get God to like me. As a matter of fact, while I was a sinner, Jesus died for me while I was in the middle of my mess. And it's not about me getting getting it right. It's about me coming to Christ and him getting it right through me. It's not about me living for God. It's about God's life living through me. Come on, somebody. Do you, do you grab hold of what I'm saying? Like, and we get it backward and we end up in this religious cycle where we are frustrated where we're not, we're not seeing the results because we're striving so hard, thinking if I do it all right, God will bless me. God has already blessed you. God has already blessed you. It's not, it's not about, I want to live a life, and we say it, it sounds so spiritual. I just want to do the right thing and live this life that honors God. And it sounds humble, and it sounds spiritual, but it's backwards. I'm not just trying to live a life that honors God. I'm, tr I'm trying to allow Jesus to live through me, and it will automatically honor God. It will automatically glorify God. In other words, I got to get out of my own way. I got to abide in him, and him in me, and fruit is automatic. And when we start getting this right, when I'm allowing the life of God to live in me and through me, it's not about me doing all these things so that God loves me. God already, he's already demonstrated his love. So it's about his life, I'm in Christ, him living through me. It actually produces not pride, it produces humility. Even if I pray for you and God heals you, I can't take pride in that because it's his life 
going through me to you. How many know God, sometimes I've prayed these weak prayers and God still honored them. And, it was, and I look back and think, how did God honor that weak little prayer? You know what I'm saying? It's because it's the life of God in me. I abide in him, him in me, and, and the fruit of that relationship is automatic. And so the essence of our life, the essence of our joy, our hope, our future, our destiny, our identity, it can't be tied to anyone else but Jesus. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Let's be bold enough just to call a spade a spade. There's a lot of people that come to church and would say, I'm Christian, but they are not in Christ. They're still living in Adam. There's not transformation. How can you, how can you come into a relationship with God and experience God and nothing about your life change? If I, if I tell you I've encountered God and my life is different and then you evaluate my life and my speech hasn't changed, what I do, where I go, how I behave, nothing has changed. You could question. I know we, we all use the scripture, you know, you don't judge. Any, the Bible actually says the righteous get to judge. Which means if you're not living in Christ, I can call you out. And say, you're pretending to be in Christ, but you're not in Christ. I'm calling you out for it. Don't judge me. That's not what the Bible says. It says that the righteous do judge. This is going over real well. If you're in Christ, you ain't got anything to worry about. But if you're living in Adam, you got something to worry about. As Everly says, that terrible place of punishment, guess what? If you're in Adam, that's where you're headed. This is going way different than I anticipated. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I got to stand before God and give an account, not only for my life, but, but, but because of the office God has entrusted me with, I also will give an account for what I taught, what I preached. And the last thing I want to happen is to tell people, you're okay when they're not. If you really love me and you see me headed for a disaster, but your love says, I'm just not going to tell him. I don't want to offend. That ain't love, y'all. That's cruel. If I'm driving my life over a cliff, but you're afraid to offend me, that ain't love. So ask your neighbor, are you in Christ or in Adam? Ask him that. Come on, ask somebody that. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Now, let me give you some things. Y'all like, y'all going to love me right here. I got nine things out of 14 verses. Nine things. And I'm not worried about the clock because I don't have another service coming in. The first service, I got a little nervous. Like, oh, my, oh, how am I going to, they're going to be like this coming in and out. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that, but I want to give you nine things out of these 14 verses. I want this to come alive to you. Now, that from this point on, this is all very, very positive, okay? Because in Ephesians, what Paul is communicating is everything Jesus has made available, okay, in Christ, what God has made available in Christ that's already yours, 
Okay, number one, if you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. Um, in Christ, you can be faithful. In Christ, you can be faithful. Paul is writing this letter to the saints and to the faithful. So everything that applies to the book of Ephesians is for the saints and for the faithful. That's who he's talking. He's not talking to the unfaithful. He's not talking to the people that ain't saints. You know, you got the saints and the ain'ts. He's not talking to the ain'ts. He's talking to the saints. All right? And in Christ, you can be faithful. And the question I have for you, have you ever struggled with spiritual faithfulness? Have you ever in your life? Now, if you're, if you're not struggling with it right now, praise the Lord for it. But I want you to remember maybe a time or a season when you were struggling with spiritual faithfulness. Maybe you backslid on God. Maybe you walked away from your relationship with God. You were inconsistent. Maybe uh, you couldn't even find your Bible because it had been that long since you have read it. Some of you may be here today and it's after a long season of being away from church because you've not been faithful. And, and I think all of us at one time or another can talk about seasons when we were not faithful. Seasons where we ask, how can I become more disciplined? How, how can I become more faithful? And the answer to that question is in Christ. You can only be faithful in Christ. When you remember who you are, you'll automatically know what to do. And when you know that Christ is for you, in you, and he wants to work through you, it begins to affect the decisions you make and the life that you live. If Christ, in Christ, you can live a faithful life. Why? Because Jesus was faithful. Jesus was consistent. Jesus did not quit. Jesus did not throw in the towel. He was not immature. He was not undisciplined. He was all the things that we all want to be. He lived it out. And in Christ, I can live a faithful life. And this is not self-help. This is not motivational speaking. Um, th this is not the same. This is not self-help. This is christ help. That where you've been unfaithful, where you've been missing the mark, if you will step out of, out of Adam and you'll step into Christ, Christ, because he was faithful, he can help you become faithful. Anybody believe what I'm talking about right now? That it's his faithfulness that helps me to become faithful. Um, secondly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I got eight more to do. So number two, in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. If you've come out of Adam into Christ, you are blessed. You're not waiting on a blessing. It's past tense. This is something, that's why Paul, in, in verses around 17 through 23, he starts talking about, I'm, I've prayed for you that you would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God so that you can see, know, and experience what Jesus made available for you. In Christ, you are already blessed. That's a done deal. It's not something that's coming. It's something God has already done. He has already blessed you. Yet I meet Christians all the time. When you, when you look at Ephesians 1.3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, it's past tense, with every spiritual blessing. In verse 6, he said, He has blessed us in the Beloved. 
This is something he's already done for the saints. It's something he's already done for those who are in Christ. Yet I meet Christians who feel that they are cursed. They feel they're cursed. They feel like their life is not what it should be. They, they, they feel like I'm working hard, but I don't get the promotion. I'm working hard. I can't even keep the job. Relationally, I'm investing in people, and they keep taking from me. Others are greedy. They're, they're not generous financially, emotionally, or spiritually, even practically. Have you ever woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror, and wondered, is everyone using me? Some of you feel like that, like everybody is taking from you. See, that's a lie of the enemy to make you feel that you're cursed, to make you feel that, that you don't have what the word says you have. I don't care what you feel like today. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. Somebody give God praise right there. In Christ, you are blessed. You may feel a lot of things, but we don't live and we don't walk by what we feel. If I lived and walked by what I feel, I wouldn't preach half the time. I wouldn't encourage others half the time. I don't always feel like being encouraging to others or preaching the gospel. But this isn't about what we feel. This is about what God's Word says. And His Word says, in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's all available in Christ. This is why we can't play church. This is why you can't go through the motions and check a box. Because if you, you, you play the game, you check the box, and you go through the, the, the motions of it all, but you're not really in Christ, then you start living a life that looks cursed. I want you to be blessed. You are blessed. In Christ, you are blessed. It's something Jesus has made available for you. You've been blessed with the righteousness of God. You've been blessed with the love of God. You've been blessed with the forgiveness of God. You've been blessed with a guaranteed resurrection of your physical body when this thing all winds down. All of these are, are, are things he's already done, things he's already promised, that in Christ, you are blessed. And I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want you to become lazy. I don't want you to stop striving. I don't want you to stop growing. But I do think we need to pause every once in a while and work on our attitude of gratitude. Where, where we're, some of us, we're, we're blessed because the, the word says we're blessed so we are. But the problem is, is that we're blind to the blessing. We spend time complaining about what we don't have or mourning what we didn't get instead of celebrating the blessings God has placed all around us, including e eternal life. We need to get back to a place that if we get a nap, if you get a Sunday afternoon nap today, when you wake up, you ought to say, thank you, Jesus, for this nap. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to thank God that he's given you a brand new day with new mercies. And, and, and listen, it, at the end of your day, thank God that you got through another day. Anybody thankful for all the ways God blesses you? And sometimes we're, we're blind to the blessing. You are blessed. Not that you're going to get blessed. You are blessed. I want my kids to know they're a blessing, not a burden. I want the people in my life to know they're a blessing, not a burden. You are blessed. Number three in Christ. You were chosen and made blameless. Now, this, this whole part around verse 4 of Ephesians 1 
it makes church people nervous. Because as soon as you start reading chosen and predestined, they automatically, oh, my pastor's a Calvinist. He's Reformed theology. You know, you'll have debates start, start coming up. Um, but this, this whole concept of in Christ you were chosen, in Christ you were predestined, this is not something that should create arguments in the body. It's not something God put in the book for us to walk in so that we would have debates on what it means to be chosen or, or to be predestined. Um, some of you, maybe growing up, you um, at school, maybe they were picking teams, and it was always like you were the one never picked, never chosen. Some of you know what that feels like. You're down to, you, you got two teams, and you're down to you and a potted plant. And they say, I'll take the potted plant. You know, you have this whole thing in your head, no one picks me, no one chooses me. They're drawing names out of a hat, I know I'll never win. If it's chicken pox, I'll get it, but if it's something great, I won't. And you begin to live this out. How many of you understand that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he? When you think like that, talk like that, guess what you experience? That's exactly what you experience. I'm never picked, I'm never valuable, I'm never important to anyone. And right here in Ephesians 1, Paul writing to the saints, do I have any saints in the house? He says, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen. You were handpicked. Now we, we struggle with this because we're like, well, if everybody's been chosen and it's already been predetermined, and we, we get so messed up. Just because I believe, as John 3.16 clearly states, Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, which means the entire world was handpicked and chosen by God. Not everybody accepts the invitation. The whole world was chosen. The whole world has been picked. This is, this is what... The uh, best way I can explain this to you would be like a dad walking into an orphanage full of kids. All kinds of orphans. And a dad walks in one day, and he, he's, he's, he's going to pick one child to take home. And he picks one child and says, that's going to be my child. I'm going to love that child. That child's going home with me. Now, the appropriate response of that child should be, yay. I got a home. I got a daddy who loves me. I got a daddy who picks me. The wrong response would be, well, why did he pick me? Aren't the other kids just as good? Doesn't the father love everyone equally? The, the response in that moment should be, praise God, I got picked. I got chosen. Not a debate about the ones, because at the end of the day, the father didn't come in and pick the prettiest or the smartest. He just chose one and said, you're mine. And that's what, what God has done. He has chosen you. Come on, hit your neighbor and tell him you're chosen. You're chosen. So in Christ, you were chosen. Number four, in Christ, you are forgiven. He goes on to say, in Christ, you are forgiven. In Ephesians 1 and 7, he says, in him. How many times have we read over the in him, in Christ, in the beloved, that 216 times? How many times have we just read over that? and missed 
what it means to be in Christ. In him, he said, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In other words, in Christ, you are forgiven. Um, how many of you would be real honest today and say, I, you felt before like you're being punished? Anybody ever, like, you just thought that? Maybe this season of life, God is punishing me. You know, this, this season has gone on for a while. It's a difficult season. I brought it on myself. Maybe God is punishing me. But I want you to grab this, that in Christ, you are forgiven, not punished. Jesus died in your place for your sins, and when he said, it is finished, that's what he meant. He was trading places with you so that you could be in the place of being forgiven and he would be in the place of God's wrath being poured out on his physical body. Now, what this, that means is in Christ you are forgiven, not only for the things some of us were real good about when we first get saved, believing God forgave us for everything in our past, but we struggle if we ever commit a sin, if we ever make a mistake, if we ever lose our temper of, of God forgiving us today and moving forward. But you need to know Jesus came and died in your place for your past sins, your present sins, and the future sins that you will commit. Now, let me go ahead and just stop all the people saying, Pastor just says we're all going to sin all the time. That's not what the Bible says. The good book says if, if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Some of y'all take your liberty with that verse. And you live like, when I sin, when I do this, I have an advocate. There's a difference in sin that you committed and sin you're living in. And some of us want to live in sin and pretend we're in Christ. No, ma'am, no, sir, you're in Adam. I didn't say in Adam you're forgiven. I said in Christ you're forgiven. Oh, that's good preaching. I'm going to pat myself on the back right there. That's some good, good preaching right there. Um, I'm going I'm to take my liberty. just going to do this. Um, the way God does this, because Jesus was punished in your place for your sins. God never punishes those who are in Christ because he's already punished Jesus. So the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God, not the children of God. Now, it is true that we do reap what we sow. Sometimes we do the wrong thing, listen to me, and there's a consequence for it. Right? There's, there's, there's an action, we sow something, it, and sometimes it isn't even that we're not forgiven when we ask God to forgive us, but because we made certain decisions and we committed certain sins, there, there is a consequence to that decision, to those sins. And so at times we do reap what we sow. It's kind of like a parent telling a kid, don't do that. Don't do that. Y'all been there, right? Don't, don't you do that, little Johnny. And what's little Johnny do? He goes ahead and he does it, all right? And, and it's kind of like what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs and in the book of Hebrews, where the father will discipline those that he loves, Right? So, so God doesn't punish those in Christ, but he will discipline 
those in Christ. There is a big difference. Now, the discipline comes from a place of love, not a place of anger. It's always for our good, never for our destruction. It's always that we might grow and not get discouraged. Now, Satan's going to lie to you. He's, he's already lied to some of you, and you think that when you're suffering, God is punishing you. And, and the result is, is that Satan ultimately wants to take all of us out of our identity of understanding who we are in Christ. Because if he can take our identity away and we don't see who we are in Christ and that we are in Christ, then we'll start behaving like the devil. But if you know you're in Christ, you know you've been saved, you know you've been forgiven and that your relationship is in Christ, that begins to affect decisions you make. Because I'm not living by feeling, I'm living by principle. I'm in Christ. So because I know who I am, I also know what to do. All right, is this okay? All right, anybody like Ephesians chapter 1 so far? Now, some of us, instead of remembering who we are in Christ, we get this very sick perspective that to be a Christian is to get crucified. That's called idolatry. And what I mean by that, Jesus was already crucified. He already took the punishment. And some of us, we, we, we do something wrong, we've committed a sin, and, and I, I grew up in a religious environment. So when I would make a mistake or sin, I don't know why I thought this, but instead of coming to God and saying, God, I need your grace, your forgiveness, I'm repenting, I'm going to turn and change directions and do my best never to do that again. Instead of just receiving the finished work of Christ, I thought I need to pay for this. So what I'm saying when I, when I say I need to pay for what I've done, what I'm doing is I'm saying me who's lesser than Jesus is actually I have, um, I'm more valuable than Jesus and what I can do is more valuable than what he did. That's called idolatry. At the end of the day, you can't die for your sins. Jesus paid the price. And listen, you may have sinned yesterday, but if you truly repented yesterday and you truly decided to move in a different direction, I'm not talking about those who are willfully living it. That's a different conversation for another day. But if you've repented, you can continue to pay for it if you want, but it won't make you any more forgiven than you already are. I'm preaching better this time than I did the first time. I'm just throwing it out there. Number five, in Christ, you can know the will of God. You can know the will of God. In Christ, Ephesians 1, 9, he said, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So many of us, we live confused about the will of God. And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with the will of God many times. Like the will of God, because I think we try to make it this narrow thing. And I'm not talking about righteousness and unrighteousness. I'm talking about like, you know, what job? We're like, should I work here or should I work there? And we, we can get so stressed out. Like, am I going to be in God's will if I take this one? Am I going to be in God's will if I take that one? But at the end of the day, listen to me, at the end of the day, sometimes that's the wrong question to ask. It's not about should I work here or should I work there? Sometimes we need to be asking, how can I live in Christ wherever I work and bring glory to him wherever I work? 
we can get paralyzed in like, should I do that? Should I do that? Should I do that? How about regardless of where you work, regardless of whether you're single or have children or no children or married or divorced or rich or poor, in whatever season you find yourself, the question should be, how can I live in Christ in this season? How can I do that? That's the question. We make the will of God so complicated and hard to figure out. Just live in Christ in that season. Number six, in Christ you are reconciled. You are reconciled. In verse 10 of chapter 1, he talks about reconciliation and uniting all things in him, all things in heaven and on earth. This is to all the people that feel lonely today. You feel like God is far away, people are far away. Sin is separating you from God, maybe separating you from people. You feel isolated, you feel lonely. But reconciliation is not something I I usually experience uh, on a practical level uh, or feel in my life. I don't feel reconciliation. Usually what I feel, if I feel anything, it would be alienation. Like that isolate, that's, that's kind of what we experience or feel. But he's, Paul is telling us that in Christ, you are reconciled. That Jesus came to reconcile you and I to the Father. He became the bridge. We were not in right relationship with the Father, so what did Jesus do? He came, lived the perfect life, and he was right with the Father, and now he's traded positions with you and I so that we are now right with the Father. He has reconciled us, which means not only am I reconciled to God, he, he also talks about how we are reconciled to one another. So, You got two believers who are both in Christ. If they have conflict with one another, what this means, the message of reconciliation is, I don't have to kill you. Come on, have you ever felt like just killing a Christian? It'd be so much better if I could just take them out. Some of you are like, I can't believe he's a pastor. But you've met him. You've met him. But I don't have to kill you. Why? Because Jesus already died in your place. And he's reconciled me to the Father. He's reconciled you to the Father, which means we should be able to be reconciled with one another. This is the part nobody wants to talk about because we'd rather just like, I'm just going to let that set. I think I've done, done all I can do with that. Number seven, number seven, we got three more. In Christ, you have an inheritance. In verse 11, he said, in him we've obtained an inheritance. If you've ever felt cheated, stolen from, disregarded, overlooked, in Christ, you do have an inheritance. Now, you and I, we tend to be short-sighted people. And the Bible talks about this life. It, it calls it, in, in quotations, it calls it a little while. That's kind of how we look at this life, the Bible says a, a little while, but when we're in the middle of a mess, when we're in a, in a tough season of life, we don't usually look at it as a little while, do we? It's like this has been going on too long. But in Christ, we have an inheritance, and part of that inheritance is eternal life. Um, and we believe, and we've been seeing it recently, we, we saw blind eyes open, we've saw, we saw all kinds of people with demons get set free. We've, we've seen people get up and walk who haven't in eight years. We've saw ears unstopped. 
We've saw all kinds of cool things. But listen, you have an inheritance, and when this life is over, the physical inheritance is how many of you will have your healing on the other side fully. Um, you're not going to have um, tears on the other side. Like you're going to be filled with joy. There's not going to be poverty in heaven. How many of you know that every, this inheritance, it begins now, but it will be perfected when this life is wrapped up? It's completely perfected. And you have this inheritance, all right? It belongs to you. Number eight, in Christ you have hope. In verse 12, he says that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Your hope is in Christ, and I, I really want you to grab this because we put hope in a lot of things that cannot deliver. Your, your hope is not in the government. It's not in Washington, D.C. It's not in the interest rates. It's not in the gas prices. It's not in the economy. Listen, I'm going to take it a step further. It's not in your family. It's not in your children. It's not in your spouse. None of that is, that's not your hope. And as a pastor, I got to tell you because I see people put their hope in so many things that will fail them. If your hope is not in Christ and in Christ alone, you will be disappointed. Our hope, in Christ, we have a hope. That's where our hope lies. And Paul writing to the saints, to those that are faithful, he says, in Christ, you have hope. Number nine, last thing I'm going to give you today. We got a lot more to get into next week. In Christ, you have hope the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Um, as the worship team comes, there's my son. Awesome. Um, there are about 30 times that Paul says this, this whole in Christ phrase in the first little bit of Ephesians. And I'm only pointing out the first nine today. Um, and that's why it's so incredibly important because I really believe that the Apostle Paul writes and uses this phrase so often because he wants you and I to really get, we're no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. And he wants us to get it, but he also, he's very determined that we will not forget it. And the one thing he's saying as we wrap this up, he's saying that in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, that's the phrasing he uses, this is the word of truth. Today you are hearing truth. That's important because this world is filled with lies about who God is, about who we are, about what our identity is, what our purpose is, what our destiny is. But this word of truth, this gospel, this good news, this grace of God, this salvation to those who believe in him, we have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the way you know your identity in Christ is through the presence, the person, and the power of the Holy Ghost. He writes the scriptures. He illuminates our understanding. He awakens our awareness. He changes our desires, and he refashions our identity. The Holy Spirit is how the power and the presence of, of Christ come into the lives of those who are in Christ. Jesus was so emphatic about this that he said, it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. What Jesus was saying, he, sa he was saying, the Holy Spirit in you is better than me beside you. 
that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, we know, descended on Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit filled him throughout the course of his life. The Holy Spirit caused him to rejoice. The Holy Spirit led him and also empowered him through trials, through temptations, through suffering and sadness. It was the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. And the Holy Spirit, church, listen to me. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not impersonal. He's personal. He's not far away, but he is near. He's not against you. He's for you. He's not wanting you to perform. He's wanting to perform new life in you. He doesn't want you to be in lies and in death. He wants you to be in new life and in truth because you are in Christ. And when you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You are someone that you would never be without the Holy Spirit. You can live a life that you could not live on your own. You can do things that otherwise you'd be incapable of doing. And listen, that means that even when it comes to suffering and persecution and trials, because you have the Holy Spirit, endure it as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Endure it. I need you to stand and you need to help me quit by giving God a praise. Come on, give him a praise as you stand today. That's a very weak praise, by the way. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit over these next few weeks. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I prayed for you that you might receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is Ephesians 1.17. That you would may know and experience and understand all that God has made available to you. Invite the Holy Spirit to open up the book of Ephesians to you personally. Take the time. Begin reading it. Don't just wait for Sunday for me to read it to you. Go ahead and begin reading it and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the Word of God to you. God wants to do some awesome things in your life. He wants you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to keep your heads up today and your eyes wide open. I was thinking about this. I heard um, a preacher say recently, and it was just interesting because he was preaching and doing an altar call, and um, on their LED wall, there was there was like a cross, and I think just kind of in the moment, he looked at the cross and he said, if Jesus can hang on a cross naked in front of the world, surely you can confess him publicly. And it hit me, it hit me really hard because the scripture that I was reminded of is that if we're ashamed of him, he says, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. I think it's time that the church be bold. If we're going to be in Christ, let's just be in Christ and let the world know we're in Christ. We stand with Jesus. Let's not be afraid to offend people. Let's just live in Christ. And so I'm going to ask you today, heads up, eyes wide open. If you're not in Christ... You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm in Adam. I'm, I need to repent, need to change. I need to publicly make Jesus the Lord of my life. 
I used to say, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't care if you're embarrassed. I really don't. Maybe I'll change that by next week. I don't know. I'll pray about it. But I want you to make it to heaven. I do. At the end of the day, I want people to go. And I don't know that you can get there ashamed of him. I I don't think you can go ashamed. So if that's you, I know we all just looking around, but if you want to make things right with God, throw your hand up. Say, that's me. That's me. Throw your hand up. Anyone at all? I want to make Jesus. Thanks for those two hands back there. God bless you. I see that they're, they're like, I love it. I love it. Come on, one more time. Celebrate. That's awesome back there. Compass directors are already helping them, getting them some information. But I do want us to all pray. Let's pray real loud. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for trading places with me. Because of what you've done, I'm asking you to save me. I'm choosing to repent for all my sins. And I'm choosing to follow you privately and publicly. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody celebrate. Give Jesus a big God bless you. I know I've held you a long time. Prayer team and staff, if you would come to the altar area, we're going to open up these altars and give you an opportunity if you need prayer for anything at all, deliverance, healing, direction. We're here to pray with you, for you, and believe God to do great things. God bless you. Don't miss week two of the book of Ephesians next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.